This is the How to Share podcast, where we help you find your story, write your story, and share that story with the world. With loads of experience marketing, hotels, restaurants, and influencers, your host, Amy Dreheim, will help you craft stories worth sharing. Stories that do more than sell a room or destination, they inspire. If you're ready to share better stories and improve your marketing strategy, you're in the right place. Here's your host, marketing expert, author, and travel blogger, Amy Dreheim. This is the How to Share podcast, episode 30. The Leading the Way Entrepreneurship Series continues. Today, I'm talking to a non-traditional hotelier who's made a big impact with a small hotel in historic Overtown, Miami. It's a neighborhood that you might not have heard of, and that's precisely the point. There's a big story here. One that includes people like Ella Fitzgerald and Jackie Robinson back in the 1950s, and people like Jamila Ross and Aquino West today. Because you see, Jamila and Aquino own and operate the Copper Door B&B, a hotel that has introduced travelers to a destination that's rich with stories, culture, and history, that's been largely overlooked in favor of the bright lights of Miami's more popular, tourist-driven neighborhoods. I was introduced to Jamila at BLLA's Digital Summit this past fall, which brought together independent hotel and lifestyle leaders from around the globe. Jamila was part of a panel discussion about small hotels and how they've been able to adapt during the pandemic. From my perspective, small hotels are the ones to watch right now. Today, I'm interviewing Jamila Ross about what she's built, why she's built it, and what she's learned along the way. Let's get started. Jamila, welcome. Hi, Amy. Thank you so much for having me. This is so exciting. (laughs) Yes, I'm so glad you're here. So for listeners, let's start with this big question. Tell me about yourself and anything goes. Okay. Uh, (laughs) It's honestly my passion for food started kind of organically. And to be honest, like a lot of other people um, just interested in cooking. It started with the Food Network. <laughs> nice. Um, after school, as a preteen and a teenager, just like watching Rachel Ray and all these like really interesting and um, energetic characters, if you will, on TV um, preparing meals. And I started to do the same and completely fell in love. Um, My stepdad at some point was struggling with finding a niche of his own when it came to a career path. And I just remember very vividly as being in the kitchen one day and him saying like, what you can see yourself doing every day day in and day out and just getting where just, you know, just getting paid as a perk. Like that's what you should be doing. And the first thing I thought of was like, I could cook day in and day out and getting paid would just be the cherry on top. Yeah. Um, so after that conversation is where I really took it seriously. So as a high schooler, I started entering into competitions and I knew that I was going to go to the Culinary Institute of America. My mother first took me there at the age of 13 for a birthday dinner. And I knew that's where I wanted to be. So I come from two very white collar kind of workaholics, if you will. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So working in kitchens started as soon as I could get a work permit at 16. And traveling has also been very much a part of my childhood. So I had grown up 
going to a great deal of bed and breakfast along the East Coast, typical places like Savannah and things like that. And I actually worked at one as a culinary student. And I thought this, this could be really cool. Like, I could see myself making breakfast in the morning, doing what I loved, owning a little bit of property, then going about my day while my guests are enjoying theirs. And like most bed and breakfasts, I thought that this dream would be, (laughs) you know, would really come into play when I was like 50 or 60 or so. And hopefully by then I had owned something. Three years ago, my now fiance and I, we opened up a vacation rental property. We have both traveled on a global scale as expats in two different countries, myself being in the Middle East, and he had spent some time in Denmark, Copenhagen at uh, Noma, which was the number one restaurant in the world when he went that, I believe it was 2016. Yeah. So, wow. Um, Holy yeah. cow. <laughs> yeah, it's a, and it's a lot going on. So we opened up essentially an Airbnb and we came across this outstanding building, but it really does come from this undeniable passion for food. That's where it really all started for us. We're like two restaurant kids that decided to become hoteliers. Amazing. I love how it's, it's so food forward. The fact that it all started when you were so young and you and your fiance both have that in common. So then the hotel is almost like secondary to the food piece. Do you think? Um, in certain ways, it's certainly what makes the stay unique and worthwhile in certain ways. I mean, our building has a ton of history. It was built in the forties and and your introduction was like on point in terms of the history of our neighborhood. Um, so, I mean, it really does lend to like the experience as well and how we're advocates for a cultural, more historical Miami experience when it comes to our travelers and our guests. Mm-hmm. But um, our rooms have vintage pieces in them and it's just a good time and there's like super fun wallpapers. So it's definitely a supplement to this day, but an important one to say the least. Gotcha. Yeah. So, okay, let's talk about the Copper Door B&B. So how many rooms are there? When did you open sort of the nuts and bolts? Sure. So we opened um, July 1st, 2018. So a little over two years now. We have 22 guest rooms and they all include in-suite bathrooms, which is important to say when it comes to bed and breakfast. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Super important. And so our guests, the cherry on top is the fact that you have this incredible culinary experience that they get to have that's sort of unexpected. And I love the fact that you two are so young. You didn't have to wait until retirement to make this dream a reality. You know, when you talk about that dream, secretly, I have that dream too. Like my husband is a chef and we own a restaurant. So I'm just like, it's music to my ears to hear that you guys did this. So yeah, let's talk about who's showing up at the property. It's really interesting because as an entrepreneur, you try to identify your demographic and you do all these projections and you write up a business plan in hopes of it, you know, it actually coming to reality. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that was very interesting is that we really did gear initially our demographics of being millennials. And when we started operating, we noticed that after the last two and a half years or so, around 80% of our guests any given day were cruise goers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's something that we didn't expect at all. We are in super close proximity to the port of Miami, literally like a five minute drive away. 
But for some reason, we didn't seem like that type of place. Yeah. But when it, when it happened that way, and when we were serving breakfast in a communal style, it would be so funny because guests would chat with one another, which is the whole point, and we strongly encouraged it. And then they would find out that they were on the same cruise or just had finished going on, you know, a path that someone else was about to go on. And so wow. they would share like different activities that they did, or you know, they're like, "Okay, see you on the ship." When they're checking it, like it's so cute. That's so surprising. <laughs> Is very, very sweet. And we'd love to see that engagement. But yes, we were the best place to go. If you were getting on a cruise with competitive rates, an awesome breakfast, and it was a really cool pre-party to their vacation. Yeah, that's really interesting. When I think about (laughs) giant cruise liners, I wouldn't think that they would step off and come to this boutique, intimate experience with you guys. And I love the fact that they were open-minded and did exactly that. And it was probably the highlight of their entire trip. We have heard that before. And and what was cool too, from a business perspective as well, and for guests, they would book with us the day before their cruise would leave, but then they would return to us the following week when the ship would dock. So it was very much this like, welcome back home. How was swimming with the dolphins? How is the, like there was this connection we were able to make because we were that pre and post experience. It was really too funny. Okay. So cruise ship experiences aside, when people come to you, like what are the stories that are told inside the property? How do you bring your neighborhood in? Yeah, it's really interesting. And it's been something that we initially really wanted to tell the story in a more kind of tangible way with like bits and pieces and cute pieces of collateral and things like that. But to be honest, just due to budgeting and being a startup, we would be able to relay the story in a very organic way. So a guest would ask like, oh, is the terrazzo original? Or like, I noticed the hardwood floors or, you know, the, the our uh, front desk bell, it looks aged and it is because of the original front desk bell. So we would get these kind of like questions about all these nuances of the property and it would be this platform for us to just come together for 10, 15 minutes and for me to explain the history of the building. So it was really kind of like this, again, this like modern grandma telling you this story that you were never expecting and you maybe didn't even want to hear, but now you're like in tune and you, and you want to learn more. Like it was, it's very much like that. And I'm speaking in past tense only because unfortunately due to the obvious, we haven't been able to interact with our guests as closely as we did. But um, when we did, it was so special. Right. That time will definitely come again. We know that. But So it is really interesting. So there's these focal points, these pieces in the hotel and they speak to, and even your entrance from the outside looking at it, it speaks to the history of the neighborhood. And so if people are asking about the hardwood floors, to your point, it's your entrance into the conversation. And I love that it happened really organically because sometimes people won't read the stack of papers we leave in their guest room, (laughs) but to get to hear from you is, it's a really unique and special experience. It it really was. So since March 15th, tell me what the status is today. I'll give a little bit of timeline. Once Ultra Music Festival, which was initially it's adjacent to the Port of Miami, so a five-minute drive away from us, once that had officially been canceled, we were aware that this was a very big deal because every year for Ultra, we're completely sold out and the phones were literally off the hook. It was a bit daunting, to be honest. After that had happened, the Florida state governor had issued a shutdown of all lodging facilities in South Florida. 
So with that, we were forced to shut down. They reopened the opportunity to take in guests that weren't stranded or didn't already have booked reservations again in June. Okay. So we've officially been open and operational since June. Gotcha. So when you talk about the face-to-face experience, it's just, it's different, but you do still have guests coming and staying. It's just masks and distancing and not so much communal breakfasts. Is that right? Right. So um, right now we're offering a contactless check-in, which has worked really, really well. We kind of have like a locked box outside of the building where guests are able to retrieve their room keys and essentially check themselves in, which has also been very helpful. And obviously from a safety perspective, great for our guests, great for the team. We're able to communicate through email and are always available remotely. And kind of with that, with the loss of the communal breakfast amenity, we've been able to open up Rosie's pop-up as a filler, as a placeholder. Gotcha. So tell me about Rosie's. It sounds like it brings the tourists and the neighborhood together, which I love. Yeah, very much so. And before when breakfast was an amenity specifically to guests, it wasn't open to the public. We would get calls every now and then asking if breakfast was, you know, available for purchase. (laughs) But now that we are open to the public, it really is this great marriage between the two the conversations that happen at the table are still very exciting and um, fulfilling in in a lot of ways. And um, we're able to connect with our community. We're able to tell a little bit of our story as well. You know, they ask how long we've been operating and even the pop-up has taken on a life of its own. We initially were just doing to go outside of a little window. And if you're from Miami, you know what a ventanilla is, a little window where you're just kind of passing items and it's on the go. We recently received a grant through Discover Card for $25,000, and that has given us the leverage to open up the outdoor area, which is a proper dining room, has fans and lighting and some beautiful foliage. So yeah, so now, and we're, and guests, when they ask, we're able to share that story with them and they feel so happy that they stopped in, they supported and that they had a great time. Like it's, it's nice to see that they feel a part of a bigger picture, which means a lot to us. Yeah. Wow. Congratulations on that grant. That's amazing. And the outdoor space. Okay. So I was just reading some press about you and I know that you also started putting meals together for locals. Is that right? Tell me about that. Yeah. So when the pandemic had hit, there were a great deal of large organizations and initiatives really like hitting the ground running when it came to what can we do to help, whether it was PPE or meals. So we wanted to do our part and we weren't sure exactly how to, again, with a limited budget. So one of our neighbor restaurants is owned by celebrity chef Marcus Samuelson. He owns Red Rooster Harlem along with his partner, Derek Fleming. And they had teamed up with the World Central Kitchen Initiative to provide meals to our neighbors in Overtown, to our community. There was one or two mornings where we just dropped them off lunch. Like we knew that we didn't have the capacity to donate hundreds of meals, but we certainly could donate 10 to those that were providing to the masses. It originally was just a gesture just to kind of show gratitude and show respect. And then we started receiving calls about other organizations that were interested in us, you know, fulfilling hundreds of meals to the community. And and we jumped on the opportunity. Was Rosie's born out of this? Like, so you started preparing meals to go. And so then it was like, okay, this is actually working really well how can we build this out further? Because I'm finding that sometimes hotels react to the pandemic by helping their communities, but then they also discovered new ground for themselves. Is that what happened? 
yeah, to some degree, the concept of Rosie's, it was an, it was an actual cafe space conceptually. Mm -hmm. And um, since the hotel shutting down, it was like, we can't sell rooms. We have a team to support. We have to come up with something. And it was like, let's do what we know. Let's sell good food. So it did stem literally out. uh, Like, I think our first day open was the first week in April. Mm -hmm. So it was a direct result of needing to pivot I know that's Mm -hmm. a big word and just needing to figure it, being creative and figuring it out. And then let let me go back for a second. Marcus Samuelson is your neighbor. (laughs) (laughs) To some degree, he, you know, he doesn't reside in Miami, but his rest, one of his restaurants do. Yeah. They're literally like a block and a half away. Wow. So the food in that block and a half radius, like crazy. Holy cow. Wow. (laughs) That is so cool. (laughs) That's so cool. I'm kind of, yeah. I'm kind of starstruck by that. <laughs> so I want to get a little bit more into the history of this place because it's very unique that you decided to open the hotel in Overtown. Yeah, absolutely. So Overtown is a very special place. It's known to be as the Harlem of the South. And essentially when, you know, similar uh, scenario in New York during the times of just like jazz and prohibition and, and great energy and great people and this just like love of life in general was taking place. You know, a lot of great American musicians were also doing great sets and having great shows here in Miami. And naturally they would be performing on Miami Beach. And so um, where the name Overtown has originated from was the idea that all these top musicians couldn't due to segregation laws couldn't actually book rooms and stay at the hotels on Miami Beach. They were forced to make their way back to the city of Miami. So, you know, after doing like a huge show, you'd be like, well, what, you know, what are we about? To, what are we doing? Where are we going to go? And it's like, well, I have to head back over town, hence over town. So the wow. original, yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Holy the original cow. name of the, the community was Colored Town, actually. And American history lends this, especially in in bigger cities where not only was there segregation, but there's almost like this isolation of neighborhoods of color of, or, you know, minorities in general, where they're kind of placed in one area to spend for themselves. The interesting thing about Overtown is that it's adjacent to the Bay. History, again, shows us that civilizations or, you know, communities that are close to water really do thrive and flourish. And so was Overtown. So a great deal of jobs, a great deal of, you know, entrepreneurship and businesses and those businesses and patrons majority being Black. And then with the construction, again, this is a parallel story to a lot of other major cities in our country, infrastructure forces more isolation and sometimes um, despair within with the communities that, again, were made to be for a certain type of person. Mm-hmm. So with the infrastructure of I-95 coming into place, it unfortunately was a downfall for Overtown, where drugs and poverty and things of that nature really did take over the area. And it hasn't been until recently that there's been some sense of revitalization of the community. And it's interesting because this particular building in this neighborhood, we stumbled upon. We were originally looking for restaurant spaces in different neighborhoods. And one of the developers that we had touring with led us to this building. And then we did the research on Overtown. And then we found out more about our building specifically. And I'm happy to share the history behind the building with you all as well. Um, And with all of those like pieces coming together, it was like, this is... 
this is where we need to be. Like, this is for us. This is, this is where we should be. I love hearing the history. It does parallel a lot of the history we know in other cities like New York. And now I think what you're going to tell me next is about how the building and your whole concept basically came out of this history. Yeah, literally. Our building was built in 1942. It's about 80 years old. It originally was owned by a gentleman named Jimmy Dimitri. And he was kind of known in our little section of Overtown as being a bit of a Robin Hood for the neighborhood. Okay. Um, <laughs> getting himself in trouble, getting others in and out of certain situations. There's some articles that lend to a lot of our guest rooms being used as like brothels and gambling rooms and like all this craziness (laughs) during that time. It's really quite, you know, fun. He was in so many different things. He unfortunately was shot dead in one of the spaces adjacent to our lobby. And like I said, he was very much a community type of man. And he developed relationships with a lot of the people that were just residing there. And one of his very close friends, he was a bus driver. The bus stop route that he had ended in front of our bed and breakfast. And um, he's about a 6'2 black gentleman. And he, his nickname was Mr. Moon because he was distilling moonshine at the time. Wow. Proper, yeah. <laughs> so cool. His proper name is Carl Mullins, and they became great friends and business partners. And when Dimitri had passed on, his wife approached Moon about taking over the businesses because he owned multiple and he owned different, you know, plots of land and stuff like that. And so um, during that time for a black young family to take over such entities and really run with it was quite beautiful. Mm-hmm. And um, so they had owned and operated it for many years. Actually, while we were setting up our space that summer of 2018, this woman came in, you know, the doors were unlocked at that point. We're like running around cleaning, like building stuff. And this woman came in, she had to be about 5'11". And she's like, oh, I, I used to own this building. All the pieces came together. This is Mr. Moon's daughter. Because sometimes I would oh, like... Oh, so the, cool. Yeah, in the cool. community, I used to be... Like, some people would ask me, like, oh, are you? I'd be like, no, I'm not. <laughs> and then upon seeing her, I was like, this is who everyone is asking about. So it was so funny because, like, we're taking her on a tour because we have now refinished the space and have added all the decor. And she's taking us on a tour because she's like, I remember cleaning these rooms and this is where my bedroom used to be and telling us all these stories of like the 50s and 60s. It means so much to us not only to continue this idea of Black entrepreneurship in Overtown, just because it's one of those things where this project, and although it is a business, it means a lot more than just opening something or just, you know, trying to make a profit. This is true American dream the idea of wishing for something and really acting on it and it providing to a bigger audience. And it just, it fills us. It really does. Absolutely. And I think you are also contributing, you know, you're part of that revitalization because the Copper Door B&B is, I think the first, a lot of people have actually heard of Overtown. So then to fill in that history for your guests and for firing travelers like me, (laughs) (laughs) you're playing a big role in the community. Thanks so much. Yeah, Yeah. it's it's truly a part of the formulas that we want to give back as much as we can.
really enjoyed this conversation with Jamila, and it was one of those throw out the scripts and go deep chats, which means the rest of our conversation airs next week. I mean, today, just learning the history of Overtown Miami and the history of the B&B itself was fascinating. There are so many layers to what Jamila and Aquino built, from paying homage to the community's past to being a true partner in this present moment. We'll pick up next week and learn more about Rosie's, which in a way was born out of the pandemic, although clearly the seeds had been planted long ago. Jamila will also share some of the hospitality experiences that were defining moments for her, and she'll share the legacy she hopes to leave behind. For the show notes and links from this episode, go to howtosharepodcast.com slash 30. As always, keep sharing your stories. Thanks for listening to the How to Share podcast. If you loved this episode, make sure to subscribe wherever you're listening. 